Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. What a great introduction for tonight's topic. Amen. If you'll stand with me, we'll springboard from the same place we did two weeks ago. A large portion of our focus last week or two weeks ago was the sluggard, and I guess that would have been his, his song of anthem, Working Can Wait. Amen. Proverbs chapter number 6 and verse number 6. I'm going to use the same verses of Scripture. The Bible says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. This is Solomon, of course, writing. And consider her ways and be wise which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou rise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man. Proverbs 30, Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 24 says this, There be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. And so tonight I'd like to try to finish up this sluggard consider the ant lesson here this evening. Father, I come to you tonight. I pray, Lord, you would help us, Jesus, in our understanding that we can glean, Lord, some very practical things from this, but also, Lord, spiritual things as well. God, your word, Lord Jesus, would find, Lord, us, God, just even in our everyday lives. God, that you're able to help us, Lord, through and by your word, Jesus, and govern our life, God, by it. Lord, I love you, and I thank you, Jesus, for what you're able to do. In the lovely name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Everybody say amen. Shake somebody's hand before you're seated here tonight. Amen. sluggard considered the ant in the book of Job Job is making a rebuttal to one of his comfortless friends by the name of Zophar and Job basically said this or this is exactly what he said but he said Zophar wisdom shall die with you and in other words what Job was saying to Zophar was you're acting like a know-it-all right now Zophar and he's no doubt being a little sarcastic with his remark, you know, like whenever you die, all wisdom's going to die type of scenario. However, Job went on to say that there were some lessons that even mortal man could learn from the creatures of the earth and the earth itself. The Bible says in Job chapter 12 and verse number 7, he goes on and says, But ask now the beast, and they shall teach thee, the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee, or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee. And so among the list of people that we uh, may regard as qualified to teach us, the ant is probably not among them, yet that's where Solomon told us to go. And it may seem a little humiliating for that matter that God would have us, humanity, some of the highest of intelligence, if you will, of, of, of creation to be taught by uh, someone of the animal kingdom, a little ant who the Bible, though, says is exceeding 
wise concerning the wisdom that's found in the end. We find the scriptures that I read to you tonight in the book of Proverbs. The word Proverbs itself comes from a root word that literally means governs. In other words, Solomon had provided through these two different settings of scriptures some little tidbits, if you will, that help govern our life or our governors to our lives. Not just, I emphasized last week some practical ways, but not just in a practical way do they govern our lives, but I believe in a very spiritual way that these things govern our lives concerning considering the end. Because not only in the real world can you become a sluggard, you can become that also in the realm of the spirit. You can become slothful in spiritual things and need to also consider uh, the activity or the lifestyle of the ant and we can learn some things. And one reason I say that is because a great purpose of the Bible and the biblical scriptures that you and I have, they're good, no doubt, to enhance our earthly lives, but they are also there to help teach us about our spiritual lives. And so they are good for both those modes of lives uh, that we may have, our earthly and our spiritual And in the New Testament scripture, there's a New Testament passage I'd like to turn your attention to of Matthew chapter 25. This New Testament passage is bringing an accountability uh, to someone that is slothful or one that is a sluggard, uh, just like many Old Testament passages that are found in Proverbs that brings accountability to the slothful or the sluggard. Here's one that's nestled in the New Testament scripture. The Bible says in Matthew 25 and verse 26, It says, his Lord answered and said unto him, thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have have put my money to the exchangers or the bankers, if you will. And then at my coming, I should have received mine own with usury. Usury just basically means interest. You should have gave it to the bankers and I could have got my money back at least with some interest. He says, take therefore the talent from him and give it to him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that has shall be given and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, this is a portion or a part of the parable in Matthew 25 that is speaking about the the talents. The Lord had came and he gave five talents to one, uh, two talents to another, and then one talent, lastly, to the other individual. The Bible states very plainly that whenever the Lord dispersed these talents, and we're talking about talent, we're, we're talking about uh, actual metal type of thing, not necessarily uh, you can juggle and you can ride your bike, okay, type of scenario. But nevertheless, whenever he dispersed these talents, the Bible said that he did according to the several, the several ability of his servants, or if you will, according to their own ability. He, he gave them uh, talents according to the ability of what he thought they could do with it. And so whenever we read concerning the the first one that had five and the second one that had two, we understand that there was a lot of work and a lot of diligence that are seen in how they handled their talents in these first two individuals. The Bible tells us that each of them, the one with five and the one with two, that each of them had doubled the talents that were given to them. However, whenever the Lord comes to the last servant, 
the Bible tells us evidently that he did not even attempt. I think that's important. That he didn't even attempt to gain anything. And so we got the first two that's very diligent. They're doing a lot of work. They happened to double them. Even if they hadn't, at least they had put forth some type of effort, put in a, a little elbow grease, if you want to call it that, to try to get some result. And then there's a stark contrast between them and the last one because we don't even see. It had been one thing. I think you would agree with me. It had been one thing if he had put some type of effort in and still came back just with one. But it's a whole other thing not even to attempt and just come back with what you had to start with. As a matter of fact, if we might, even if I might slant it just another way, the Bible says the talent that he had, he went and he hid in the earth. And so if I may even, even submit to us tonight this, is that he put more effort in hiding the talent than he did in trying to increase the talent. He, he put more work in trying to get out of doing something than just doing something. Amen. And so the Bible says the Lord of the servant, what happened? He comes and he receives back what he had given to that servant uh, to begin with. And, and quite a contrast from the other two. From the other two, he's getting double back than what he had given them to begin with. And the Lord said, the Lord said, hey, I could have taken my talent, this one talent, I could have placed that in the exchangers or I could have given it to a bank and at least received it with usury, at least received it with some type of interest. But there's, there's been nothing gained on, on the investment that I've made here in this servant. And so he denotes him, he's denoted in Scripture as a slothful, a slothful servant. And then later on in the story, not just termed slothful, but termed unprofitable, an unprofitable servant. And so for us tonight, and this was a question I think that, that arose in my mind several weeks ago, the question I think that needs answered is this, for us spiritually and for us in a very practical sense on your, your, your place of employment, but first of all in a spiritual context tonight, could God get a return on what he's invested in your life? Could God get a return on what he's invested in your life? Now, for the very practical area is this. Can your place of employment get a return on what they've invested in you as an employee? <laughs> well, glory. I mean, the money that they pay you each week, the benefits that they pay portions and part of. Amen. Uh, could they get, because I, I know I, I'm not deeply steeped in the business world, I come here usually and it's just me every day. But I did work at one time. And from that last job that I had before I came here, I understood this, that the business world is shifting. Where before it used to be honoring seniority and things of that matter, that isn't necessarily the case as it is today. Because where it was where I was before I came here, uh, promotions and increase in wages didn't matter who you were concerning on the seniority ladder. It mattered whether or not you brought some type of profitability to the company by your work. Any raise I ever got where I was at U.S. Server, and thank God I, I got a few when I was there. It was based upon performance, not on how long I'd been there. Whenever I left there, I was the top guy in my, my department only because, not because I had seniority, but because of work ethic. Because they could get a return on what they invested in me. And so can your business do that? But I think even for us as a church, the greater question, can God get a return on what he's invested in your life? 
Amen. Whenever I begin to consider this, I think whenever God's looking down through the eons of time in the book of Acts and he's looking at, at Saul who would become Paul, I don't know. I don't know all the measuring, but I'm just a what if type of scenario. What if God was considering how Saul would someday become a preacher to the Gentiles and how Saul would preach before kings and, and he also would consider maybe the suffering that Saul would go through and endure for the name of Christ. What if, I'm just saying what if, what if God was carefully calculating the transaction of figuring how much impact he would have, perhaps even the, the life of Peter, how much impact Peter would have on the day of Pentecost, amen, weighed up against the three times that he denied the Lord. Can I, get, can I get a return on the investment that I've made in their life? Because evidently, listen to me concerning the parable, evidently giving back to the Lord in the parable what he originally gave to the servant doesn't classify as profitability. Doesn't classify as profitable. As a matter of fact, he called him unprofitable when he received back just what he gave him. Amen. <laughs> being profitable then if that's the case my understanding is this being profitable then doesn't mean getting back just what you gave being profitable then means gaining a return on what's been invested in someone or if you will an overall gain more than what you've lost can God do that with us can he gain more than what he lost or can we somehow be profitable in such a way that what he's given us, we build upon? Is everybody okay? Am I striking a vein or something? Is he all right? Okay, I'm just making sure. I don't want anybody to start bleeding on me or anything. We got people here and take care of that, but in the spirit and in the natural. But nevertheless, it's a profitability. The buzzword today is this, busy. Everybody's busy. That's all you hear. I'm busy, too busy, haven't had a chance to because I'm busy. We live in a very, quote-unquote, busy society. But here's a possibility. It's possible to be busy and slothful at the same time. Because you can be busy about the wrong things. You can leave some things done and others undone and be busy but be slothful. In Luke 10, it's a common story we oftentimes go to in Luke 10 and verse 41. The Bible says, And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. She's busy. He says, But one thing is needful. Needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. He's saying there's one thing that's needful. There's one thing that's needful. Martha, you're busy about many things, but in the area of that which is needful, you're slothful. You're slothful. And so it's quite possible to be busy and slothful. Now, considering the sluggard that we spoke about two weeks ago, and I'll refresh your memory just very vaguely, just the three things that, that in particular, and there were more than that, but we'll get to those. Three things the sluggard loved, and that is this, the sluggard loved to procrastinate. Everybody say, put off. Put off. Why well, do today what you can do tomorrow? Loved to procrastinate. The sluggard also did not finish things that he started and the sluggard also made everyone else's task around him more difficult because of his attitude toward the task. With that being said, sluggard, consider the end. Ants work in unity with one another. 
They are not striving for position of leadership among themselves. They're not needing someone to push them or prod them to do whatever the responsibility is that needs done at the moment. They, as a matter of fact, carry burdens in many, in many regards for one another. The Bible tells us in Proverbs that the ants have no apparent guide, no apparent overseer, no apparent ruler. They, sell, they seem to be self-directed, or I, I would like more properly say they're God-directed. Amen. They're, they're more self-directed. There's nobody saying, hey, you need to do this. You need to pick up the pace. You need to make sure. They don't have any of that type of accountability that's within uh, their structure of someone with a, a whip whipping them in order for them to get the job done. They just know that there's a job to do, and they do it not just for themselves, but for the benefit of all of them that are connected to them. Amen. And so, they, as I said uh, two weeks ago, that they communicate using scent and, and sound and touch and sight and they have teamwork. I told you how if there is a, if there is a chasm, if you will, and in their line going to where they're foraging food, they'll, they'll connect their bodies together and make a bridge in order for them to go over to compensate for the, the gap. I told you how they could lift up to 50 times their own weight. And what's the common little phrase that we have in our society? I tell you what, they can't even carry their own. Is that right? <laughs> Consider the ant. They, they can't even carry their own weight. Someone say amen. Everybody doing okay? Okay, it might get turbulent before it's all said and done. I dare to say, and I'm not saying this in every episode, but in some episodes... If Christians manifested the same attitude toward their secular work that they do toward their work as Christians, they would lose their jobs very quickly. And I suppose that could work both ways. <laughs> I guess that could work both ways. There's an ant that's in charge of making sure that the colony doesn't die, and she's called the queen. There's only one queen in the colony. She's the queen. The other ants are workers. Some are foraging for food. But absolutely for sure, all of them are working together to ensure the survival of the colony or the community. Remember, not only does the slugger procrastinate, not finish things and make tasks more difficult, ultimately in the end, he also is going to be greatly disappointed. Here's the fact of the matter. When you consider the ant, consider this. The ants prepare for the future. Gathering food in the good times so they can survive the bad times. They're very, everybody say, productive. Productive. They prepare during the plenty for when resources are low. Note what the Scripture said again in both settings of Scripture in chapter 6 and chapter 30. The Bible says concerning the ant, they provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. In other words, she, she provided her meat in the summer. When you look at the word summer, it's actually referring to a springtime of the year. But she's providing her meat in the spring. And so what's interesting, if we understand it like this, this little insect has food even before it's harvest time. And so how in the world does it have food even before it's harvest time? I'll tell you how. From last year's crops. From last year's crops. She is conserved and she has saved enough food during the plenteous times that's carried her through winter, going to take her through spring, through summer, until it's time for harvest again. 
I think a good example of this in Scripture that if your mind isn't already going to, let me just prod it along, would be Joseph in of itself, would be a very good example of a consider the ant real life story uh, type of mentality because his answer to Pharaoh, whenever there are going to be years of famine and years of plenty first, he said, you know what we need to do? Gather up as much grain as we can in the years of plenty so that whenever the famine comes, there will be plenty there to sustain this during the low times. And so here's the fact of the matter. Take it at a spiritual aspect. Take it at a practical aspect. Famine is always going to come. Okay, let's explain. Famine is always going to come. Practical. The air conditioner is going to break. The refrigerator is going to go out. Your agitator, as they used to call it, is going to quit agitating. The vacuum cleaner is going to go haywire. Tree's going to, I'm just, I'm just telling you, it's going to, a leak's going to start happening. You're going to have this little wet spot in the ceiling. You don't know where it even came from. Famine's going to come. And the, the, the hopeful thing is this, is that you haven't used up everything that you've gathered. Okay, on the spiritual aspect, famine's going to come. You're going to meet some times that you don't feel like doing this. You're going to have times that you don't feel like doing this. Famine's going to come. And so what it is is that everything that you, 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 you bring and you preserve and you bring back, it's, it's important not just to expend it all. Amen. Consider the end. So, so, and here's the fact of the matter. Famine usually doesn't prophesy when it's coming. <laughs> it just shows up unannounced at your door, whether it be in spiritual life or in practical life. It just shows up. And so in, in both senses, the natural sense and the spiritual sense, there are going to be times of famine that will prove what type of preparation you've made when there wasn't famine. And for the spiritual side, I then say this, just because things are well today is no reason to abandon the altar at altar call time. Just because there's plenteous there right now is no reason to abandon whenever you feel like going and you can. Famine might not even be sometimes that you don't. It might be you might be in a position, Bishop, you have open heart surgery and you can't. Uh-huh. And so then you got it. What did you do during the times of plenty? And so, so on the spiritual side, then I also say during the times of plenty, it, it's not a time then to disconnect when, from the word of God on Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday when the word of God is going forth, when it's taught and preached because there may be a day in the future you're going to need that word that was spoken back when. Back when when the famine wasn't around. Back when everything was just okay. And so those things still going to the altar, whether we were, you know, because we, we sometimes predicate whether or not we go to the altar at altar call time about whether or not what was spoken was what we needed or if it applies to us. I'm humanity, pinch me, I hurt. I know how it works. If the sermon identifies with me, if it's where I'm at, okay, I'll go. But if it don't, forget it. That's for somebody else. That's not the attitude to have. That's the attitude to have is this. You know what? That wasn't necessarily in alignment with where I'm at right now, but pre-adventure somewhere down the road. That might be where I need or am going to be. And so I'm going to go to the altar tonight. Why? Because I'm going to forage some food, if you will, and preserve that for an hour when there might be famine. Amen. And so we do that. And so then on the practical side, the wisdom is this. 
Don't spend every dollar you make. Because something's going to come up that's going to require more dollars than you can make in a day. And it's in those moments when the bottom falls out that you're happy because what did you do? You stuck something back during the time when there was nothing wrong. During the time when you had a few more coins in your pocket, so you kind of put them aside. You didn't spend them, but you put them aside. Why? Because you knew life sometimes happens. Now, I know this, this isn't re- great revelatory, but sometimes we just need to rethink these things. Yeah, we do. We do. Someone say, we do. We do. There's nothing more distressing than something bad happen in someone's life. And then they say they don't have no money to take care of it. But they just blew a bunch of money just two weeks prior to that and you have knowledge of it. Consider, huh? Consider the ant. Listen, the life expectancy of an ant, 45 to 60 days. Listen now, but the ant plans ahead and it has a life expectancy of 45 to 60 days. But it plans ahead. Now listen to me. Many of those that are foraging food, working hard to gather food for days, listen to me, will never eat of the food that they're gathering because they will die before they eat the food they even gathered. Does someone hear me? Ants plan ahead to the degree that it's not that they are just planning for themselves but they are planning for everybody that's connected to them in their colony. They don't have it's just me mentality. It goes greater than that and it encompasses those that are part of their community, those are part of their colony. And so they don't, I mean, if they have a 60-day lifespan, they're going on and planning ahead. And I'm thinking, man has maybe 70 years. Consider the end. The Bible says in Acts 9 and verse 39, then Peter arose. He was being summoned by some people because of one who had passed away. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber. And all the widows stood by him weeping and shewing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. Amen. So the Bible says, we understand, the Bible says that, that, that Dorcas was full of good works, the Bible says. Earlier in these verses, says that she was, she was full of alms deeds, which she did. This is Dorcas, this is her life. She became sick somewhere along the journey, and Dorcas died. Yet, note the scripture that I read to you. Although she died, she left something beyond herself to others so that they could use and benefit from those things, though she was absent. Amen. Consider the end. You say, well, you know, famine might not have my lifetime. This is going to, that's all right. And I'm not throwing up on anything, but you got kids and grandkids. Yeah. You got kids and grandkids. Leave something in your life that's beyond you that they can benefit from and that they can use whenever you're gone, both on the practical side and the spiritual side. I'm telling you, on the spiritual side, I'm hoping I leave something, something, some type of legacy that they can hold with tears in their eyes and say, you know what? I remember when. 
Amen. The Bible even admonished us to put up for our children and grand to put up. And it's not just speaking in spiritual terms, speaking in very real practical terms as well. And so we must live our lives in a similar fashion. Consider David, if you will, 2 Kings chapter 11 and verse number 10. The Bible says, and to the captains over hundreds did the priests give King David's spears and shields that were in the temple of the Lord. And the guard stood. Every man with his weapons in his hand ran about the king from the right corner of the temple to the left corner of the temple, along by the altar and the temple. What was happening right here in 2 Kings 11 is this. There was a young man by the name of Joash that was about ready to be made king. Joash was the only one of his siblings that were left. All else had been destroyed, but he and his nurse had been hid away in the temple of God had been hid away for six years in the house of God. On the seventh year, when he was seven years old, he was coming out of the house of God to be made king. The priest Jehoiada said, hey, we're going to set everything in order in hopes to minimize any type of resistance with making this young boy king. We're going to put, we're going to put weapons in your hands and we're going to arm you as best as we can. Now listen to me. David is already cold in the grave. David is dead. But David in his lifetime had dedicated things in his lifetime to the house of God. The first, the first, the first century historian Josephus even said that David had provided an arsenal for the temple. He had provided spears and shields and weapons that he had dedicated to the temple and the house of God. The Bible even tells us in Scripture, like in 2 Samuel 8, that whenever David defeated Hadad-Ezer, he took shields and he brought them to Jerusalem to the house of God. If I can state it differently tonight, I'll state it like this. David's past diligence, amen, was about ready to aid a generation. David's dead, cold in the grave. But what he did back when is about ready to aid a generation to come and prepare them with the weaponry they needed against their adversary for this particular moment. But he did it back when. It did not just serve himself and it did not just serve his day. It served a moment that was still yet in the future. But I guarantee you, if they could go shake David's head, hand, there would be several of them doing it. Thank you, David, for what you did back when for preparing during those times so that we would have during these times. Consider the end. And so the slugger procrastinates. And he also does not finish what he started, but he also is full of excuses. And so with that, consider the ant. The ant never stops working. Even, have you ever watched ants? Have you ever just, I mean, you can be honest with me that you kind of got caught off guard and you just stood there and watched them for a while. It's okay. It's just therapy. It's okay. And you watch, have you ever seen like a little obstacle or a stick or a leaf get down in their line? What do they do? And they might have a straight line, but it might be a little jagged spot right there. They're just going around the obstacle. They, they immediately find a way around it. They have a very steadfast work ethic. Normally, if you're looking at, down at ants, they are on the move. I cannot ever recall me looking down, and I seen an ant sitting on its backside with its legs crossed. I don't ever recall that. They're always on the move and very quick at doing it. They're very quickly on the move. Amen. They're usually not idle. If you ever see an ant idle, that usually indicates something is wrong. Quite possibly it may be sick or already dead. 
<laughs> Someone say amen. Ants take the shortest path possible. It's not like here to the trash can and they're kind of weaving. To get, they are going a direct straight line. They're taking the shortest path possible. They don't want to just wonder. They want to be very intentional about what they're doing. Is everybody doing okay? Yes. If you go into overtime on your job simply because you've been fooling around during normal working hours, shame on you. You're a robber. The language of milking it for all it's worth should not be found in the language of a Christian. Oh boy. Yeah, I think I'll take a sip of water on that one. Colossians 3.23 says, and whatsoever, I say whatsoever. Boy, that's a broad brush. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Now I think this is where a great, a great problem is with Christian working in secular society. I think this is where a great problem is. People think they're working for a human employer. But you're not. Now, Brother McGee, I know every day I go there, that guy has flesh and blood. You're not. You're working for the Lord. All that is is a channel. You've heard me preach before, folks. All that is is a channel. That can dry up, but you still are employed. Case in point. He's not here, so I'll talk about him. Sister Cox is up there, though. God bless her. I'm going to talk about your son-in-law, okay? It's good. It's good. You know it is. Brother Chris Cook moved here, working for a mining company. And uh, he talked to me at one time and said that they was going to change the schedule of being working 13 days off one, working five, then off two. That was going to be the schedule over and over. 13 one, five off two. He said, with that being the case, he said, I would miss quite a few Sundays. He says, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in missing quite a few Sundays. He was here last Wednesday night. He was supposed to have started working that Monday, his 13-day stretch. They came to him with ultimatum on Wednesday and said, you're going to have to choose whether you want to work or whether you want to go to church. He said, I'll be going to church. He came to church. He's working, started working Monday at a new place in Evansville, not mining, probably have his weekends off for the most part it looks like, making more money than where he was, what he was doing. What are you saying? What was the mentality in that? There's a man there, but there is another employer. Uh-huh. There's another employer that's higher than he. And it is unto the Lord. He said, I'm going to work as unto the Lord. And according to the Lord, and don't, don't get me wrong, I understand there's times you got to work Sundays and there's times you got to work uh, Wednesdays. But let me tell you, and I think it would be wisdom in this, if your life is constantly going to be regulated by being out of church, then you need to reconsider. And I don't think I'm wrong in saying that tonight. I think I have good biblical basis. If that's going to be a constant role, I think you need to reconsider. You say, well, I can't do that. Look what I'm going to lose. You don't know what God might have be waiting for you to get if you just honor the Lord. 
and you're working us into the Lord. And, and it'll help our attitudes a lot is as you go to work and not too, not too, too, too uh, uh, enamored by the environment. Remember, it's, it's unto the Lord. It's unto, and I know that's difficult to do. I'm not telling you it's easy. I'm not telling you you going in there and you just, you're grinning like you just smelled a can of ether. No, I'm just telling you this. That sometimes you just got to get the focus right that you're doing it as unto the Lord. And it's whatsoever you do. It doesn't matter if you're the banker, the lawyer, or if you're a trash collector, or if you scoop up elephant poop in the circus. Amen. The sluggard says, makes everybody else's task more difficult. He's ultimately going to be disappointed. Every ant brings something to the colony. Some of their contributions by an outsider looking in may seem insignificant or small, but all are important to their colony. They all have a job to do. A lot of things for an ant to do in the colony. Some ants help take care of the larvae and the baby ants. The ant heel has to be kept clean. I know it don't look too clean. It looks like a pile of dirt, but there's actually some means to the madness on the inside. They got to keep clean. has to be kept in good repair. New quarters have to be added on as the colony grows and intensifies. has to be protected from predators. Some of the ants have to go out and find the food. Some of them carry it back to the nest. All ants have a job to do, and guess what? They do it. They don't worry about who's doing what. They do their job. They're not worried about if this one's working harder. No, no. They're all working just as diligent, just as hard. And here's the amazing thing. When they see that something needs to be done, this is biologists that study this. When they see something that needs to be done, they do it. Isn't it amazing? They do it. So an anthill in many ways is like a corporation or a body or even a church for that matter because it's dependent upon everybody that contributes. Each, every one of the members. Bible says in Ephesians 4.16 from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. You supply something. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. 1 Corinthians 12.27 says now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Now I won't hold you much longer but just a few more minutes. Slugger, consider the ant. Now, you could really in deep. I'm hitting this wire. I apologize. You could get really in, in deep with this consider the ant mentality. So I'm just going to mention the next few things without a whole lot of commentary, okay? You, you, you could really get in deep. Each colony, each colony of ant, from my reading, researching, each colony of ants has its own smell. Is that amazing? You can go a whole lot of places with that. Glory, amen. <laughs> Each colony of ants has its own smell. But listen to me. The reason being is because in this way, when an intruder comes into the colony, they can immediately recognize that this is not one of us. Folks, and again, I'm not making a whole lot of commentary, but there should be a distinct aroma from the house of God so that we know them that labor among us and we can discern the spirits. Amen? The Bible says in Exodus 30 and verse 37 concerning the incense that was burned in the tabernacle in the wilderness and as for the perfume which thou shalt make 
Ye shall not make it to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. He told them to gather certain sweet spices and to make up this incense and all the ingredients were to be of equal weight, which speaks to us no doubt of balance, but there was not to be another incense like this incense. In other words, it was unique. It had its own peculiar and particular smell for the house of God. And quite aside from all that, it was holy unto the Lord. It was sacred. So you knew that that aroma is only associated with God's house and with the house of the Lord. Anything else contrary to that, that had a different aroma than that, is evidently not a part of his house. Amen. And then, again, I'm not trying to comment a whole lot on these, but just a little bit. I know we could have some fun right here. Worker ants are always female. Now they're saying, where is he going with this one? Worker ants are always female. <laughs> oh boy, wish that tree was bigger. <laughs> Let me say it in this, this line then. If I'm going to say who's going to consider the ant at this time, let me say it like this. Husbands, consider the ant. Because if you tout, well, I'm the breadwinner of the family, I bring home the bacon, and she don't ever do anything. Let's even just consider Proverbs 31 woman. According to Scripture, she makes things out of wool and flax. She brings food from afar. She gets the groceries. She feeds her family by making... You say, well, I do. That's fine. I understand there's going to be crossover. She feeds her family by making meals. For the Proverbs 31 woman, this is true. She is a good businesswoman. She tends a garden for food in that day at least. She stays up late to do more work. She also finds time to help others. She makes sure her household is clothed and cared for. She brings worth to her husband. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> there, <laughs> there, was, there was the mayor and his wife that was on the way to a banquet, mayor banquet, and this was back when they still had service stations. Today, they're just gas stations. It was service stations when they did your windows on it, and all that cost too much money. <laughs> fill up your oil. I don't know who ever thought you could fill up people's oil and not charge them for it. Uh, someone come in there, and, you know, they get need a quart of oil every block, you know. But anyway, that's besides the point. I'm having problems here. But the mayor and his wife went to the service station. There was a guy there working at the service station. It happened to be the same person that they all graduated with. And uh, the mayor kind of looked over. His wife said, honey... Said, honey, aren't you glad because it was a sweetheart of hers a few years ago? Said, aren't you glad that you, you married me? Aren't you glad you married me and we're going then to this mayor's banquet? Just think what would have happened if you had married him. She looked over him and said, honey, if I'd married him, he would have been the mayor. She brings worth, worth to her husband. Uh-huh. She sells things on the side. She eateth not the bread of idleness. She fears the Lord. What's that talking about? Prayer, Bible reading, fasting. Work ants are always females. What I'm learning from that is this. Whether she has a job outside the home 
or not, she still has a job inside the home. Now, this is, now we're jumping genders here. Consider the ants. In the ant colony, this is just atypical of our world. In the ant colony, males are usually in short supply among ants. And men are in short supply in our society. Real men. Is this all right? Male ants, male ants, which usually come from unfertilized eggs, male ants typically serve one purpose, to mate with the queen. Everybody doing all right? There'd be less heartache today in our world and society if men would learn this lesson. Keep your focus on your queen and mate with her. Stand with me. Again, folks, while I believe there's real practical applications, I believe there's also spiritual applications in there as well. We imply to our spiritual lives and our practical lives whenever we consider, consider that little minuscule thing called the ant that we can, we can learn, we can learn from, we can learn from. We, 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 should, we should in our world today as workers and, and employees in whatever way that we should serve, we should be the best workers that there are in the world today. Christians should be the best workers that there are. We should have the best attendance records. We should have the best attendance records. If they're giving away rewards for employee of the month, we should get it more times than anybody else. Amen. If there's promotions that's going to happen, we should be the ones getting them. Not because it's owed to us, but because we're diligent workers and our work is unto the Lord. We, we should not have to be constantly drove to do what we're paid to do. Amen. Should, 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 not, should not have to be drove to do what we're, what we're paid to do. There shouldn't have to be a taskmaster over our shoulders. You know, some people, I, I've worked just a few years in my life, you know, but there's been times I know that whenever there is per se nothing to do, there are two types of people that come from that type of setting, and that is this, those that won't do anything because nobody said to do anything, and those that find something to do that they can see with their natural eye that needs done. We need to be the ones that can just kind of pick up and say, you know what, I know what could be done right now. I'm going to be busy about it. Amen. That's right. That's right. Hallelujah. Have a good rapport. Have a good rapport. Have a good rapport with your place. At, at, at best, at best, if you ever leave, don't burn a bridge when you do. Just because they maybe per se ran you through the mud, don't give them the one day notice. Be courteous. Live above reproach. If at all possible, be peaceable. Man, we might have to get down in the mud with the hand. I don't know, but those are just some things for consideration. We embow our heads here tonight. Father, I love you. Thank you for listening. 
If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.